Welcome to Thriving with Mental Illness, a podcast with real talk, an open and honest conversation about issues surrounding mental health. There are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. I'm Mikkel Buck, author, public speaker, and suicide survivor who's lived with mental illness for over 20 years. And with me is my guy, Adam. Hey guys, welcome back. We have another amazing episode. Amazing of, episode. Of Thriving with Mental Illness. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, by the way, because <laughs> the one who is making it amazing. <laughs> what you're saying, we're not amazing? It's clearly not us. So. Oh, okay. But we're glad you came back anyway. We do have amazing guests. Yes, we do. Should we start with update or meme of the week? Uh, let's do the meme of the week. Okay, okay, okay. Meme of the week comes to us from BPD Reality 1313. Okay, it says, therapists, have a good day. I love you. Text me. Psychiatrist, don't care. Didn't ask. See you next month. (laughs) (laughs) So true. I think people expect psychiatrists to be really warm and fuzzy, and they are not. No. They're not there to talk about your feelings. No. They're they're not your friends. Here's your medication. Bing bong. (laughs) That is our awesome meme of the week. Thank you, BPD Reality 1313. (laughs) So true. So true. So, what's been going on? Uh, Well, we did have the really fun weekend with uh, Savannah and Max coming down for the baby shower and for his birthday. And we had a really good time. My good friend Becky came over and helped us make the most beautiful balloon wall I've ever seen in my life. It took us two days to make it. Also, we definitely need to post that. And Savannah was so cute. She's like, (laughs) Mom, this is the most beautiful shower I've ever seen in my life. And we had cute cookies. And she was so excited. It was so fun. So, as you know, (laughs) Mikkel is not a big party thrower. Uh, I am not. Zero is what I do it. So, this was big for me to throw a party. This was big. Threw a party, and it was it was amazing. It was a smashing success. It and was she adorable. Enjoyed it. I did. Surprise. It's because I didn't have a lot of other things going on. Who knew that I actually liked to entertain? But it, it was so fun because Savannah was so excited about it. So it was really fun and fun to do it with my friend. And yeah, we had a great time. It was good. And then the next day was Max's birthday. Mm-hmm. So we did the most important things, which is Max and I went to the bookstore and wandered around Barnes & Noble for two hours because it's our favorite thing to do and picked out lots of books. So that's that's one of the things that Max and I always did growing up is we love to read together and pick out books. So that was happy. And then we went and had sushi. Not me, because I hate sushi because it is disgusting. <laughs> but everybody else likes it. So we went. Well, the, the reason we went to sushi was because we were looking for a private karaoke room. Yes. And surprisingly, they're hard to come by. Surprisingly. Who knew? This is like the greatest activity ever. I'm so sad for everybody who doesn't do this. (laughs) I think the reason is most people that sing karaoke, they want to put on a show for other people. (laughs) And so when you're just put in a little room, nobody can see your awesomeness. My amazingness. Well, uh, karaoke is one of those things that most people have to be really drunk to do it. Or you just have to really be okay being goofy and not care what people think. And we fall into the latter category because we were not drunk while we were doing karaoke. Yeah. So, yeah, I was talking to my friend and she's like, yeah, my husband would never do karaoke. I'm like, yeah, that's why we had to wait till Max and Savannah came down (laughs) to do it with them. And Savannah's dad and his new wife. So we all did karaoke and And, it was so fun. And it was at a sushi restaurant. So that's why, despite... 
Mikkel's disdain for sushi, we went to eat sushi. Yes, and and we made giant fools of ourselves, which was why we were so happy to be in a private room with no audience. But it was a blast. And the sushi rolls were good, by the way. For those that (laughs) enjoy sushi, we did have some of those. Yes, we love that. But yes, it was quite, quite the event. It's unfortunate that the whole thing wasn't recorded so we could post it. I actually do have some clip recordings, just a few really <laughs> yeah. excellent ones. So, so you know, I might post them in the story just so everyone can get a taste of this is what non-drunk karaoke people look like who still will go all out in karaoke. It's, it's you know, well, just so you not know, amazing. It's on Mikkel's phone. Um, and, and so if it sounds a little weird, it sounds a little off, it's simply because of the recording. In person, <laughs> it was amazing. And also in person, it sounded really <laughs> off. Too. Except Max. Max has an amazing voice, so he, he really sold it. But really, karaoke is about commitment. It's not about talent. It's about commitment. Yeah. And we were committed. Yeah. So that's it, what made it a blast. Performance over... Uh, over quality. <laughs> <laughs> so, happy birthday to Max and happy baby shower to Savannah. Yes. Yes. And now we will introduce our exciting guest today. Hey guys, welcome back. We are so excited today because we have a guest. Last time you just listened to Mikel and I talk back and forth, and today we actually have a guest that will chime in and enlighten us all on Well, some very- she's a cool guest too. Well, first of all, welcome, Katie, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for letting me come crash the party. (laughs) So, Mikkel, why don't you introduce her? Yes, we're so happy to have Katie and super excited about it. Katie is actually the founder of Peak Behavioral Consulting. So she is a certified behavioral analyst. And she's been doing that for over 12 years in Utah and Texas. She started off, she's got a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in applied behavioral analysis. So hot stuff, Katie. How about you tell us what that is? (laughs) Yeah, what the heck is behavioral analysis? So I was just um, telling my sister this. I actually describe this as the science that supports other sciences. Behavior really is an everything, honestly. So um, the field of a behavior analysis, we are a science that studies behavior, obviously. Um, and we work in a lot of different settings. So sometimes you'll use our science in like organizational behavior management and business, or sometimes you'll use it in education. But Today, obviously, we're going to be talking about how we apply this science to mental health and kind of behaviors that will either improve our mental health or destroy our mental health. Typically, as behavior analysts, we look at the environment and kind of like our interaction between, you know, like what we call antecedent events or what's happening or like triggers, I guess, would be another term that we would use. Um, What's happening directly before we engage in a behavior? And then what is happening as a consequence after we engage in a behavior? And what is actually maintaining those behaviors? So we're really trying to pinpoint and identify behaviors that are impeding on an individual's ability to live and thrive and live a meaningful life? Or are these behaviors that taking away from that? That's kind of the synopsis of behavior analysis. So in your consulting business, who do you typically work with? Sure. So we typically work with kind of all sorts of individuals. We work with parents that are trying to help their kids 
with behavioral or um, mental health challenges. We also consult with like teachers and administrators in schools. Um, and then we also work directly with uh, the individual that's suffering with mental health or um, behavioral challenges themselves. So yeah, I mean, I've worked with clients from the age of two up to 22 years old, but typically I'm working with like ages kindergarten through 12th grade. So you're in the school system right now, correct? So the school system, but then like also in the client's homes and kind of consulting with families and parents and helping um, set up and create environments in their home that will like help the targeted child or the individual that we're working with. Do parents hire you or schools or both? Most of the clients have come through parents just seeking out help, identifying that, okay, you know, my kid's going into middle school and they're kind of identifying some of these challenges specific, like, you know, we just came through COVID shutdowns, right? And now this was the year that everything opened back up. We're seeing a lot of significant mental health challenges in the schools um, currently. So I'm getting a lot of behavioral referrals from teachers and schools, but then they're saying like, oh, hey, we know of this girl that works in the homes as well. Can you give us some examples of like behavioral issues? Is this the typical like problem kid in the class that everybody's like, he's not doing well in school. He's acting out. I don't know what to do with him. Okay. So yes, I get a lot of referrals like that, but I'll use myself as an example when I was in high school. So when I was in high school, this was the first time that I had experienced any sort of mental health challenge. I was a very great student up until eighth grade, you know, like always had straight A's. I was on the soccer team, kicking butt, taking names. Like I was just doing all the things before I was diagnosed. I started engaging in behaviors that would indicate that someone's suffering from depression. So for example, I was very social. I had a lot of friends, but I would start to socially withdraw or sleep all day, or I started skipping several classes and my parents were really concerned about it. I, um, suddenly I went from having like a 3.8 GPA to a 2.8 GPA, and then it dropped to like a 1.8 GPA. And this all happened in a matter of like three months. Right. So at the time I didn't know what was happening. I just recognized I don't know. I'm tired all the time. I'm sad. My motivation to do anything was no longer there. And so that was kind of a red flag to my parents. Like, uh, hmm, there's a sudden shift. What is happening? So they're starting to panic. Like, oh my gosh, like our good, sweet little Katie is no longer like sweet little Katie. Like she's talking back all the time, you know, like she's uh, not doing her homework anymore. And so they're freaking out. So that would be an example of like maybe something today that parents would be like, "Uh oh, sweet little something Jimmy is not, you know not acting like Jim, the Jimmy we know." So they would reach out and be like, "Okay, we need some help. Like, how do we get Jimmy to start doing his homework again? How you know he used to like want to play football all the time, or he used to you know do all the things, but now he's no longer." 
wanting to do anything. He just wants to stay up and watch TV and then sleep during the day. Mm-hmm. We had an experience kind of with Sam when he was in first or second grade school was really, really tough for Sam. And he and I actually had a really interesting conversation about this last night on the way home from the climbing gym. And I was talking about how like you realize how smart you are, right? He's finishing up his trade schools. He's getting his commercial diving licensing. And he's also applying to BYU Hawaii for marine biology degree. So he's had to go through and like redo all of these testings because he doesn't have a traditional high school transcript, but it was early on in elementary school that school really started being difficult for him and manifested as behavior issues when really it was boredom issues. And I remember at that time reaching out to somebody, she was a counselor. Her response to me was, these are parenting issues. These are like your situations around your house, like the way you have things set up. And I was like, boo, lady, boo. But <laughs> it was true. You're it turned fine. out it was true. <laughs> I'm like, dang it. It was actually me not creating environments that would help Sam succeed. Even though I didn't like the answer, it was actually really good information and helped us quite a bit moving forward. And that's so interesting. So, okay. Usually when I get the, re- the referrals, it's usually the parents are asking, what am I doing wrong or what's wrong with them? And we just like have this tendency as human beings, I think to like, you know, we want to place blame somewhere. Um, but really, you know, mental illness is an issue. With, like it's an illness in our brain, right? And right. medication can be a piece of this to fix it. It's not like the environment necessarily is wrong, but we may have to change some things that will help that individual you're not doing anything that's wrong. The person's not wrong. And so sometimes I have to clarify that, like, look, this person's not sucking on purpose. Like no one, (laughs) okay. Like they're not trying to be this butthead. They're not trying to be non-compliant. There may be something wrong in the environment, but you know, with a few little adjustments that can go a long way, we can make a lot of progress. Well, that story with Sam when the teacher told him to get in line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is a classic Sam story. This is very, it illustrates quite well. He was in kindergarten, I think at the time. (laughs) So he was already on his, I think, second or third teacher or something. So (laughs) let that be the background when when we hear the story. But the teacher contacted me after school and she's like, I have to talk to you about Sam's behavior. He was awful in class today. I'm like, okay, what's going on? What happened? And she said, I asked the students to line up and Sam got in line on his knees. And I said, okay, wait, what? And she's like, I told all the students to line up. He got on his knees and he crawled over to the line on his knees. And I'm like, okay, did, was he disrupting people? Was he bothering people? And she's like, no, but he got into line on his knees. I'm like, okay, was he being loud or talking back? No, but he was on his knees. And I'm like, okay, I see the problem here. The problem is he did it in a different way than what you wanted him to, but he actually still did what you said. So, correct. I love that you brought this up because this is something I have to remind parents, even myself sometimes with working with clients um, and teachers kind of everyone, like we have to identify, is this actually truly a problem? Is this a behavior (laughs) that is impeding on their ability to live or thrive or live a meaningful life? Is it harming anyone else? Is it 
so disruptive that like they're not able to learn or like acquire new skills. If so, then sure, it's a problem. But yeah, that is a classic <laughs> example of no, that's just your own agenda. Actually, <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> and it, I, I think I told you guys this story before, but like mm-hmm. another story about myself was um, okay. So I have this friend that she wanted to throw a birthday party for me. And she asked, and no fault to her. I was like, yeah, sure. Invite whoever you want. This will be so fun. Thank you. Um, So she throws this party and it became this massive part. Like everyone kept inviting more friends and more friends and more friends. And before I knew it, we had this huge basement full of people. Okay. And I told her like, yeah, invite whoever you want. But I remember getting so overwhelmed and so overstimulated that like in the party, I was like, okay, um, I got to get out of here. So, well, and this was actually a few years ago, right? This was not yeah. like when you were a kid. Yeah, this is not nice. <laughs> yeah, this is like, the story so much better. <laughs> so, so I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, panic, panic, panic. I got to get out of here fast. So I told everyone, I'm just going to go back and use the restroom. And they're like, okay, cool. So then I climb out the window of my like the back door the window at my own party and I escaped I like ran away from my own birthday party and the reason was because I was like I just gotta get out of here like I can't talk to people anymore I can't socialize like I've just gotta run um my friends were pretty offended. I left my own birthday party to pay through for me and they saw it as this huge problem but like to me I was like no, I feel great. <laughs> great. Thank, I'm like, thank you for throwing this party. But I, so I guess that would be another example. Maybe I should have communicated to them before, like something about me. I get overstimulated during certain things. I may have to like take a break or something, but like, that's one thing where some people may see a behavior as a specific problem, but to me, it was not a problem. It was not impeding on my life. It was not impeding on. <laughs> I had a great time at my party. All five minutes I was there. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting that you bring this up because I feel like something that I am hearing a lot from our conversation is that you can't just look at the behavior. You really have to understand the whys behind it. And I have found that so many times when we understand the whys behind things, it's so much easier to help in a meaningful way, or even just to give someone grace that you can experience the situation, your birthday party, however it was in whatever way you need to, right? Like, I understand that it's okay. I get it. And I, I feel like Sam, when he moved to home nine months ago or something like that, I had made a nice dinner and I invited him down and he's like, no, I don't want to come. If you know me, I cook like once a week, right? I'm like, no, no, this was the night that I cooked. You will come down and have dinner on this night because I cooked it. So, (laughs) and then later on he came down, he was surly and grumpy and mad. And and I talked to him later and he's like, I just didn't feel good. And I said, Sam, literally all you have to do is tell me if anyone understands that it's me. Just be like, mom, I am not up for it tonight. I don't feel great. Can we warm it up tomorrow? Thank you for trying to make a nice dinner. You don't have to say all that. Just be like, I don't feel that good today. And I understand Uh, when I'm not understanding what's going on and I have to just look at the behavior. It's so easy to misinterpret what's happening. It's so easy to try to solve it in a way that doesn't solve it in a way that causes more problems. Definitely. So that actually comes up quite a bit as well. 
in behavior analysis, we distinguish between what we call the topography of the behavior and um, then the function of the behavior. And we are always trying to identify the function and what you, Mikkel, was just describing as the reason or the root cause of the behavior. I've described this before, I think, to you. I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but there's generally four functions that every behavior can kind of like funnel down to um, that any behavior or any human would engage in a behavior for one of these four functions. And it's either to gain access to attention, it's to gain access to a tangible item, it's um, either like a sensory or like a physiological or biological need, um, or it's to escape or avoid an aversive event. And so these are all inherently there. They're all our basic human needs, really, that we're trying to seek, right? Like love and affection, attention. For example, like if, if we have a headache, you're likely to engage in the behavior of taking an ibuprofen or an Advil. Or downing an energy drink to get yeah, the and that, Yeah, exactly. Full solve. Get rid of the headache, right? Or if you're needing love and affection, I mean, some people engage in maladaptive behavior to seek attention. And so really our goal or our purpose is to, like you said, identify the root cause or the function. And if it they're engaging in a problem behavior to meet that need, then, okay, we've identified the function. Now we just try and find a replacement or alternative behavior that is more appropriate to meet that same need. So this sounds a lot like our discussion, another counselor that we had on Mark Bell, when he was talking about addictions and he was talking about how smart our brains are. And he's like, yeah, there's a problem. There's something that's not being met. So your brain is really smart and it's using this thing. You're now becoming addicted to it. It's not helping you, but it's solving a problem. So, you know, thank you to your brain for trying to help you out. Let's now try to find something that helps and solves this problem in a healthier way. So I really loved his whole explanation behind that because it was, it wasn't like, you know, shame on you for having these addictive things or having this terrible behavior or any of those things. It was just kind of like, okay, look, your brain's solving a problem. What need isn't being met? How can we meet it in a healthier way to help you be happy in your life? Oh, I love that. So that's exactly what we're doing. So like with, okay, I'll just be open and vulnerable. I recently have gone through like probably a pretty big downswing. And so I've had to identify, okay, what has been going on in my life? Like what exactly, what need am I needing that I am not giving myself currently? Um, so I bought this Garmin watch that <laughs> a behavior analyst best friend because of all the data it collects. So like it tracks my sleep, it tracks um, how much I'm moving my body. I can track literally everything like my menstrual cycle or how much food or water I'm drinking. Um, and that data is so important because I recognize patterns and everything when I'm feeling super dark or depressed or sad or anxious, I can't function at work or can't focus or, um, all I want to do is sleep all day. Well, I go and look at my data and I'm like, Hmm, actually there's a pattern here. I've recognized that 
the antecedent to all of this has been, oh, the last week I've averaged about three hours of sleep at night. So (laughs) how do I break that down behaviorally? How can I set up my environment to fix this? Well, okay. Pulled a Mikkel. I know you do this because I went to text you. I've turned off my phone at like 9 PM. My phone shuts off and I no longer get notifications. So I will not like look at a blue light before I go to bed or I start dimming all the lights or I, you know, will try and read a book to bring me into the present moment. So I'm not feeling anxious about the next day or, um, you know, there's lots of like behavioral things we can do to help our mental health. I love that this is all scientific and the data behind it. I kind of geek out a little bit on charts and stuff like that. I have a degree in statistics, like, you know, that research and data analysis. And so when I first started trying to figure out this whole mental illness beast for me and for us, like it was a hot mess and I could not for my life figure anything out. And that's when I started charting was years ago. And I have like paper charts. That's what my doctor had me start doing. And I have years and years worth of paper charts that I go back and look at is yes. Now time to move into the new age so that now you can (laughs) go back and look and I don't have to pull my files out, but I can't believe the value I have found in going back and being like, Oh yes, this is a hot mess. Oh, I see. I actually decreased this med by half a milligram a week and a half ago, not working or it's the week before my period, always a hot mess. Don't take anything into account this week or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So I love that you have the data and geek out a little bit behind it too. And that's your job. Like that's, that's what you specialize in. Absolutely. And I, I love it too, because we can see the patterns like leading up and the triggers behind like, oh, this is why I'm doing this. But then also, like I said, the consequence, like sometimes that's really interesting to just to track kind of what's happening after the behavior, because then you start to find patterns of like, oh, actually, there's something reinforcing about why I'm doing this exercising, for example, right? You immediately, usually, at least I do feel way better after I exercise. And that's like a reinforcement value for engaging in like an exercise activity, but there's also some punishing effects to exercise. I used to be a big runner, but I, after COVID for whatever reason, I found myself having almost like, I don't know if it was because my heart rate would start to elevate because I was a very competitive person. And I've heard Mikkel talk about this (laughs) very competitive. And so I know you can relate, but with running, I would find myself just competing against the old Katie, like that's, you know, the glory days when I was playing soccer and, uh, I could run this many miles at this pace, but now old haggard, old (laughs) can't run that fast anymore. And I would find myself really getting frustrated with myself and getting anxious about it. And so I recognize like, I no longer like running the same way I used to. Like it was a very punishing consequence. Now I, I recognize that like trail running is way better because it forces you to be present and mindful and aware of like where you're stepping. Like I will literally break my ankle if I don't pay attention to where I'm stepping. And that form of running is way better for me currently than just running down a bike path these days. You were talking about high school and all of a sudden you kind of had a, 
just a cliff. It sounded like you were just cruising. Everything was going well. And then uh, a crash and, and you didn't know what it was. I'm sure your parents didn't know what it was. All you knew is something drastically changed. So why don't you just talk a little bit about like, where did you go from there? I mean, that's a Definitely. tough spot to be in. I'll talk about kind of where I'm at now. I think I actually got misdiagnosed younger. Um, I'm currently working with a psychiatrist right now. We're looking into bipolar more than just depression and anxiety, which I've received those diagnosed, like I've been diagnosed separate times, one with depression and once with anxiety. Um, But medication never really helped that well with me. So I just went off medication for several years. The reason I bring that up, because you asked the question of when I was in high school, here's what I have found. Um, I found these patterns throughout my life and why I think it's more likely that I probably have bipolar than like depression or anxiety, because I found that like, I have a tendency to feel like I can take on the world. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, like you said, I was cruising, I was doing so well. And I just was on this like, high. I felt like life is great. No one can stop me. I was on this roll for a long time. And then, like you said, I had this crash and I think this is pretty typical, um, with kind of what happened with my life recently. Feel like I can take on so many things. I'm like, yes, the yes girl, like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. And for a long time I can, and I'm doing well and I'm succeeding and I feel great. And I may even be functioning off of four hours of sleep at night, but that's only sustainable for so long. And then I think you crash. Um, So when I was looking back in my high school days, I think that's exactly what was going on. I was like, I was playing lacrosse. I was playing soccer. I was doing piano. I was doing like church stuff and social events. Like I just kind of was taking on all these things think there was just a lot going on in my life that over time wasn't sustainable. And so I had this crash and wasn't able to maintain it. Did you ever go see a doctor, like just a family doctor? Oh, you go see anybody? Parents did take me to a counselor one time and they handed the report card to them and they were kind of like, fixer. <laughs> Something's parents, wrong. You know, I have great parents, but I think you know, they, they didn't know what to do. Right. Help. Um, so I got to counseling and I had never been in counseling. It was a scary thing. And at the time there was very much a stigma in my mind about mental health. And so I was like, he asked me like, why do you think you're here? And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, well, he holds up my report card. Nothing to do with this. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, so You'd be more specific. <laughs> like back in that time, it wasn't very beneficial or helpful. I yeah. don't know how I got through it, but then in college, I remember sitting. Um, my undergrad was in psychology, so I remember studying these things. And I remember it all just kind of clicking. And I thought, oh, that's what's <laughs> happening. That's what's going on. Okay, it all makes sense now. So I was able to kind of at least be aware and identify of little things to where I could recognize, oh, 
this isn't normal. Like it's not normal to feel this way in college is when I actually got diagnosed with depression and then later anxiety. And now we're reevaluating. At least I had the awareness to recognize something's off. I don't have to feel this way. I can reach out for help. Yeah. Uh You know, as you're talking about all of these things, it's so complicated. Behavior is so complicated. There's so many factors. The, The challenge I see in schools, and we've experienced this with our kids, the schools, and I'm just speaking generally, it's like you have to be a cookie cutter. You have to fit in the box. You have to fit yeah. in their system. I guess I'm not blaming them because they have a lot of kids to, yeah. to manage and to deal with and to teach. And what you're talking about is a very personal one-on-one individual. There's not like a mass way to do this, you know, get 80 kids in a classroom and fix them all with a right. some sort of curriculum. It's very much one-on-one and the resources I don't think are there. Are conducive for that. And we, with Sam especially, he just ended up getting his GED and not finishing because there was no path for him. That was in that was really uh, realistically conceivable for him. There wasn't. But right. how, I mean, I applaud you both for recognizing and honoring him to have the space to kind of take a non-conventional route to get to the same end point. And that's kind of what I would hope to like push for parents and teachers is like, let's, like you said, let's step out of our little box here and come up with creative ways that we can individualize some supports for these kids that aren't, like you said, these cookie cut learners Yeah. I mean, we all experience life differently. We all learn differently. It's unrealistic to expect like a little third grader to be acting like a perfect adult all the time. Like let's give Mm -hmm. some space for them to crawl in line on their knees. Who cares? I think what happens is, is the kids then get labels. Yeah. Early on where Sam really thought he was not smart enough for school and had nothing to do with that. You're a problem child. You know, you're, you're a bad kid you're a poor student, you're not intelligent, you know? I mean, all these things, whether they're said or not, that's what they start labeling. That's what's communicated. In fact, I remember I actually had to work through this um, in my adult life with a counselor. I was actually told those things in my sophomore year of high school. I remember I had a soccer coach that... um, I mean, I don't blame her. We were a very competitive soccer coach and her goal was to place every single one of her athletes in a college program. And she was able to, we all did end up playing in college. But I remember when she said, we, you all have to turn into your report cards. um, I was scared to death because I was like, well, I was a good student until this last semester. Oops. (laughs) Um, So I handed her my report card and I remember her like taking it and kind of just tossing it back at me. And she's like, I can't coach someone that's like that. And so what was told to me, or at least how I interpreted that was you're, you know, something's wrong with you. There's a character flaw. You're not a hard worker. You're not intelligent. And then I also had a school counselor, (laughs) um, I remember when she was helping me put my schedule together my senior year, you know how you can take college level courses in high school. Mm -hmm. I asked her to put me in 
one of those courses because it was an interesting topic to me. And she's like, oh, hold on, Katie. This is for kids that are going to work hard. Like, this is for smart for kids. <laughs> I'm cringing so badly right now, but go on. This is fascinating. <laughs> I remember getting so defensive. I was like, put me in the class. And um, I don't know why I had the confidence to like kind of put her in her place at that point, but I got an A in the class. Like I did fine because mm-hmm. clearly it was a class that was interesting to me. I was motivated yeah. to learn. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, but like for a long time, I thought I was dumb. I thought I was lazy. I thought I was, you know, just that kid that wasn't good enough. I, all these things. And so I can relate to how Sam must've been feeling. Well, and I want to circle back. I know earlier on the parenting coach told me that, you know, it's because I wasn't, I wasn't being open-minded and thinking outside the box, but also he did need to start on meds. So that was a huge component of it. It wasn't just the structure and environment surrounding and like we weren't meeting his needs in these other ways. He needed medication also. Oh. So it, it wasn't that solved. It wasn't just like you suck as a parent. So, so <laughs> it sounded like that at first, but it was not that. It was lots of things. Well, Kavi, I want to, that's something I want to add to this is it's very important to kind of collaborate with all professionals because you're just one little sliver of the whole pie here. Um, Like, yes, the behavioral part is a huge theme. It can affect everything, right? So the behavior part is a big piece. Meds are a huge, like your biological needs are a huge thing. Your, I mean, it's great to have counselors, people, safe people to talk to. Um, And, you know, your parents, your support system, like it's all part of the process. You can't just do it with one little fix. That reminds me, um, I was talking to a guy and he was, you know, we were talking about behavioral issues. He does a lot of counseling for uh, foster youth uh, that are having behavioral issues. And he said that each, when he visits with each of these kids, he's like, they're doing the best they can under their present circumstances. And that's, if you genuinely believe that, I think when we go wrong is we think people aren't, they're trying. just being difficult. They're being, they're intentionally, like you're saying, they're, they're not trying to suck. Just to suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, everybody is trying their best. They're trying. And if it's not looking like they're trying, it's because we're not understanding their present circumstances. I agree. Us, we don't understand what they're experiencing. And so it doesn't make sense to us, but it does to them. Totally. Totally. I agree. And Michelle Obama said something similar to that, where she was like, they're not bad kids. They're just surviving bad circumstances. Yeah. I love it's pretty much just what you were saying. Love that. That was a game changer for me, especially when Sam was in high school and we did have to look at alternate paths and try to help him you know, be well and be okay in his life. It was another thing another parent said to me who also had had a child in very difficult circumstances that like kind of very similar to Sam. And she said, I read something and it changed my life. And it was kids are doing the very best they can with what they have. It it Mm -hmm. was exactly that under the circumstances they have. And it changed the way I viewed everything with Sam. This is kind of diverting topics. When we talked about, when you were talking about when you were in high school and all of these things you had on your plate, and how like maybe built into possible mania, it sounds like you're talking about if you're thinking bipolar, but 
we get our kids so busy doing things and accomplishing things. And I I don't want to say checking off because we're really wanting to help them develop in all of these areas and be the best version of themselves that they enjoy. And so maybe you liked piano and lacrosse and soccer and all of these things. But I think that there's such a danger in creating so much busyness that we instead push our kids over the limit and end up having crashes. I agree. I think, and maybe I see it more in my adult life, but like, it's like we have in America, we wear this badge of honor of like, oh, I'm so busy. And we, you know, we work our life away. Oh, I never take a sick day. I never take days off, but how sad. Like I say, let's start celebrating those that are starting to respect boundaries. Let's celebrate those that are actually using their paid time off and take or their sick days to take a mental health day. Like let's, I have to say though, when I brag about finishing a Netflix show and binging, it doesn't really come across as the flex as I'm intending. Like no one else is impressed by it. So I don't, I don't really know if I'm like presenting it in the wrong way or, or what, but maybe we can work on this after the fact. Is it the show you're watching? <laughs> high quality, high quality, high class, whatever it is. But I think there is, well, especially as parents and we even are more attuned to mental health issues, but you always want your kids to excel in something. And I don't know why that is as a parent. It's probably just, you know, a problem with parents in general that we feel like our kids need to excel for them to to prove that they're valuable to, or so we can brag to other people about oh, our kids. Yeah. You know, okay. it's like, oh, oh my kid got a 4.0. Oh, my uh, yeah, he's doing this and he's he's captain of this team and he's got this, and he's got three sports. Okay. And- I have to share this. You literally just shared this for me on Instagram. It's an old colleague. We will not at anybody here because it's way too public. <laughs> embarrassing. The <laughs> There's it's an old colleague and he just posted about his son graduating. It literally was a resume, like captain of the cross team listed his GPA listed his ACT score. And I'm like, the ACT score lost me. I'm like, what the heck? Why are you listing his ACT score? That's so weird. <laughs> It's so funny. I mean, he's an accomplished kid, but like, why are we doing this? This is insane. Truly. Like, can we start rewarding those? It's like, what a kind human that person is. You know, like start listing qualities that we actually really should be proud of. If you had a, a couple sound bites of advice to give to parents, especially through the school years and, and as kids are growing up, what would those sound bites look like? To start, you know your kid best. So one, identify what their strengths are and what their interests are and play, like use those to your advantage and um, try and incorporate those into your life as much as possible. And just kind of having a safe space for maybe, or like checking your own agenda, I guess, like, like you guys were talking about, you know, why, like we push these things on our kids. We want them to succeed in all these things. We want this list of accolades that they can accomplish. Just giving a safe space for failure and real, like being real really depends on each kid. So like if your kid is someone that needs more quiet space or time away from like the busy life, 
allow for that, create an environment to where they can, you know, skip dinner. If it's the, even if it's the one night that you cook a week, um, or don't force the piano lessons on the, I mean, obviously, you know, it's this fine line of like encouraging and trying to push them into their better selves, but then also like, are we pushing too much? I think something that was kind of an epiphany for me, especially as my kids were like middle schoolish and starting off high school, this is when issues started to come to the forefront is realizing how much they actually knew about what they needed. I didn't really understand that before, but when I sat down and had a one-on-one conversation with Sam and I was asking him, he knew exactly what he needed. And at first I was so alarmed. I'm like, no, we can't do X, Y, Z. Like this doesn't work. But then when you sit back and realize like we actually can do X, Y, Z, and that's exactly what he needs. And then when we were able to do that for him, like he's doing so well, I'm so, so proud of him. He's a hard worker. He's a really good person and he's just very wise, but understands what he needs. And I I think sometimes we don't give our kids credit for that. We think they don't know because they're kids. Thank you for saying that because truly like they do know what they need. Behavior is communication. And so even if it's not the most appropriate behavior, they're trying to communicate something. So if you're able to identify what is it that they're trying to communicate? So if, you know, you have a little kid that's like, I hate life. I hate you. I hate everything. Okay. What is it that they're actually like, I don't really think that they hate you and that they hate life. What is it that they're probably trying to communicate? Maybe it's, I need a break, or maybe what they need is more one-on-one time with you, or maybe, you know, maybe it's, they're overwhelmed with a specific task at hand. Like maybe their homework is harder at that time. So how can we help you with whatever it is that is causing you to feel overwhelmed? Um, and ask them, like, like you said, Mikhail, um, they're pretty smart about what they need. So if they're engaging in behaviors that are not aligning with what you would want them to be doing, identify what it is they're trying to communicate and tell you. And once you get that out, then yeah, you can give them their needs or find the resources at least to get them those needs. Wow. That's brilliant, Katie. Well, I I think as you're saying that, um, I think the hard part for us is when we knew what our kids needed to have that be okay we're realizing is there's actually many ways to that to the end goal. And if I just relax a little bit, because sometimes as parents, we think, well, I'm the parent. That's my job is to direct them to success in life. (laughs) Maybe our job is to help them flourish in whatever direction that they're inclined to go, you know? So I think it's just as a parent realizing maybe it doesn't matter as much as we think that the check boxes and the milestones along the way, maybe everything's going to be okay if they go a different route or it looks different for them than it did for me, you know, growing up. I agree. And sometimes when you give them what they need, they'll surprise you. Like they might just actually accomplishing something way more than you ever imagined because they have the tools and the resources that they needed to get there. Yeah. 
This has been such an amazing discussion, Katie. Thank you so much. You're just so brilliant with your analysis of the behavior. I just think it's so applicable and I can't wait for all of the parents and listeners to hear all of this information to try to help our kids and help ourselves too. Well, thanks for having me on you guys. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad that you were here. As always, if you have questions or topics that you'd like to see covered, you can submit them on Instagram at Thriving With Mental Illness. There are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. We will see you next time. See you next time.